Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Joe Biden will be entering office with an economy that's still struggling with the COVID pandemic, and he will have an extremely narrow congressional majority. Given that, what should his administration aim to accomplish on the economic policy front? How much more stimulus does the economy need? What policies will provide the greatest benefit with the least downside? I'll be discussing these questions and more today with Michael Strain. Mike is the Arthur F. Byrne Scholar in Political Economy here at AI and Director of Economic Policy Studies. He's also the author of The American Dream is Not Dead, but Populism Could Kill It, released in February of last year. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. So Congress passed a $900 billion stimulus late last year. Uh, Joe Biden has now proposed a $1.9 trillion stimulus. Is that enough stimulus? I note that when every time uh, there's a new stimulus passed or proposed, Wall Street seems to raise its economic forecast for the next two years, which so I, I assume that means this is good. That uh, More money means more growth. I should be very happy with this. Uh, what is your take? So I think Wall Street's basically uh, right that if you, you know, cut a bunch of checks to American households and increase unemployment benefits and do things of that nature, the consumers will spend more uh, than they otherwise would. And that will show up in, in, uh, in you know, greater economic growth and, and more economic activity. You know, of course, that's a, that's a short-term uh, forecast and a, and, a, and a short-term focus. If it were the case that borrowing money and giving it to households to increase their spending were a free lunch, then we should just keep doing it and we should do it all the time. Um, the money that we borrow is going to have to be paid back. Uh, and um, the, 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 the money that we borrow puts at risk slowing the economy in the future. So I think, I think Wall Street is capturing an important element of uh, what happens when we, when we borrow. Um, but they're not, of course, uh, capturing the full story. Whether or not uh, this is, you know, quote unquote enough, I think uh, what President-elect Biden is proposing actually takes us well beyond where we need to be. The policy debate seems to have forgotten that in December, just last month, Congress appropriated $900 billion of economic uh, relief and recovery spending. If you take that 900 billion and add it to the 1.9 trillion that Mr. Biden is proposing, that takes us to roughly 2.8 trillion dollars, uh, which is uh, about a trillion dollars more than the CARES Act from March. The economy does not need 2.9, I'm sorry, 2.8 trillion dollars of economic uh, recovery and relief spending right now that would um uh, that would fill the output gap several times over you know uh, right now the economy is you know probably 600 billion dollars or so below uh its potential output below below the the the, the amount of, of spending the amount of goods and services uh that it would be producing 
if there weren't a pandemic. Yeah, so uh, we, where, we, where we would be if there, if, it had, if there had been no pandemic and that kind of growth path had continued, we are that, we are whatever you just said, $600 billion below that level. Yeah, give or take, and 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 uh, uh, you know, for the year twenty twenty one, for 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 the year ahead, we're going to be you know well under the uh, the, the economic hole caused by the pandemic is going to be well below five hundred billion dollars. Uh, and so, when you're talking about another you know three trillion, uh, we're we're going to be filling that hole multiple times, and um, that's just that's just more. Uh, than what is necessary. Of course, another way to look at these kinds of spending measures. So one way to look is from the top down to say, what's the size of the economic hole so caused by this? Right. Yeah. And then, and then another way to look at it is to, is to look at it from the bottom up and to say, okay, well, you know, forget about the size of the hole. What do we need to spend money on? And even, even when you take a bottom up perspective, you know, there's still quite a bit in Biden's proposal that, uh, that would actually be counterproductive. It it, it, it it does not make sense to increase the generosity of unemployment benefits by $400 a week through the month of September. Uh, doing that would slow the recovery. It would keep more people unemployed. It would be it would be bad for the economy as a whole. It does not make sense to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, which is uh, something else that Mr. Biden is proposing. Uh, and it does not make uh, any sense at all, in my mind, to give uh, $2,000 checks to uh, households, particularly households that are earning six-figure incomes. Um, and so there's, there's, just, there's, there's, there's just there's too much here. Uh, uh, there's too much in what he's proposing uh, for what the economy needs. Well, let's start with what you originally said about... Um... If, if, if the way to get growth was just cutting checks and we should keep cutting checks, but your assumption is that there's a, that there's a trade-off. Is that trade-off still commonly accepted? Because what I've heard many people talk about, uh, both that 900 billion, the previous stimulus, this new 1.9 trillion, probably uh, maybe, I don't know, several trillion dollars more, who knows with uh, uh, another Biden uh, package later this year, it seems to me that the assumption is that whatever trade-offs are from more debt, they are so far away that we really shouldn't consider them. And maybe that's why maybe that's why Wall Street is treating these uh, uh, these plans so well because they just don't see a, a, a downside anytime soon. Certainly, well beyond whatever horizon they're looking at. And perhaps uh, if you listen to some more maybe you know extreme analysts. We have low interest rates forever, low in inflation forever, and while there may be some constraint on borrowing, boy, uh, it's a it's a long ways away. So, cut those checks. Why are they wrong? Well, I, I, again, I don't I don't necessarily think that they're they're wrong. I mean, they're looking at you know they're, they're typically looking at at most three quarters into the future, right? So they're 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 really focused on the the current quarter, the Q one. Uh, Q2, Q3, Q4 of 2021, and given the economic environment that we're in, uh, I would not expect uh, federal borrowing to have a, a measurable, noticeable uh, uh, impact, uh, negative impact on the economy. In fact, it's going to have a it's going to have a positive impact on on the economy. 
Um, I, it's not just, I that's just Wall Street. You, Janet Yellen, um, Janet Yellen that, was testifying. Janet Yellen was testifying today and she was saying, we need to go big. Uh, she didn't, you know, listen to her testimony as we record this. She didn't seem to be super concerned about deficits either. And I assume she's supporting the full range of the, uh, the Biden agenda or else she probably wouldn't have taken that job. So, so it's not just Wall Street. It's also I mean, a former Fed chair who's a highly regarded economist. Sure. And and uh, it's 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 also it's also me. If you if you look over over the last uh, you know 10 months or so, I mean, I think we needed to go big in March. It's really good that we did. Um, I think that we needed to thing in August or September. We didn't do that. It ended up taking until last month. Uh, and I think it would be appropriate to do uh, a little bit more right now as well. And it's important uh, that all of that be deficit financed because you don't want to be hiking taxes right now. Uh, hiking taxes would slow the economy. Uh, and, that's, and that's the opposite of, of what you want to do. Um, the, question is, uh, the question is, how much do you want to do? Uh, and again, I think adding $1.9 trillion to the $900 billion that Congress just spent last month is you know, multiple times larger than what's currently needed. I think the composition of that 1.9 trillion, the actual, the individual programs in the 1.9 trillion, uh, many of those programs are, are inadvisable. Not all, certainly, but, but many of them. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, the, the kind of, I agree with you that the kind of general flavor of the debate at this point is that we shouldn't worry about deficits, deficits don't matter, debt doesn't matter, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I think that I think that if you actually pushed a lot of the people who are making that argument, it would it would it would become pretty clear that they don't really mean that deficits and debt don't matter. They just mean that uh, it makes sense to borrow for what they would like to spend. Um, I you know if you if you ask somebody you know if you asked a, if you asked one of the deficits don't matter people. Okay, well, should we continue running, you know, two trillion dollar deficits for the next five years? You know, they'd probably say, well, that seems that seems excessive. Um, uh, and uh, you know, there's a there's a legitimate debate to be had, I think, uh, about how much deficits matter, about what the actual impact of debt and deficits are. Uh, there are significant changes in, in the way that the economy works um, uh, that should uh, prompt a, a fresh examination of those issues. But I, I think it's difficult to find uh, uh, an economist who, who, who actually believes that we should just, you know, borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow uh, without, um, without limit. So the, so the scenario that you would be concerned about happening because of continued big budget deficits and ever rising public debt, what, what, what 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 is what is the bad scenario? What are you concerned will happen? What are, what is sort of the sequence of events? Does do uh, does Wall Street worry that we can't pay that back? Um, what what is what what is what is the scenario where that that where the big deficit become? I mean, how does that play out? I would be you know I'm I'm one of the few people uh, out there who expects to have uh, above target inflation in the year 2021. Um, I think that if we, if Congress were to 
to uh, appropriate uh, uh, Biden's plan, uh, the, the, the $1.9 trillion, that would increase that risk um, uh, that we would see that we would see inflation, you know, in the, you know, above three and a half percent, maybe above four uh, percent, which would be sufficient to make it a big public issue to get Congress to be talking about it, for there to be pressure on the Fed, et cetera, et cetera. I think I think I think I think that would be a that would be one kind of tangible real risk from from uh, uh, dumping uh, that much that much money into into a supply constrained economy. Uh, I think that uh, government borrowing does crowd out private sector investment. Um, you know, a, a common rebuttal to that is that uh, that interest rates are very low. Of course, interest rates are very low, um, but that also means that uh, that economic returns on investment have lowered. And so, it's not uh, at all obvious to me why uh, the simply stating that market interest rates are low is um, uh, is, is 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 an argument that that this kind of crowding out doesn't matter. Uh, I think it does. I think the evidence suggests that it still does. If uh, uh, you have less private sector investment, that means uh, that you are slowing future productivity growth, slowing wages, and, and and slowing the growth of national income. I think that. I think that. I think that matters. Um, you know, I think that uh, the United States um, is not at risk. Of major debt crisis, I mean, I think that's, I, I, I think those concerns have been overblown. You know, think about two kinds of economic problems, right? One kind of economic problem is is a bear shows up at your front door. Uh, it's an emergency. You got to get the bear off your lawn. You can't let the bear inside your house. Um, that's the way that a lot of people on the right, including some economists, talked about government borrowing uh, after the two thousand eight financial crisis. That I think that's possible, but I'm not. I'm not uh, even uh, you know a little bit worried about it. Uh, another kind of economic problem isn't a bear at your door; it's termites in the woodwork. And I think deficits and debt are a termites in the woodwork problem. They kind of gradually eat away and erode the foundation prosperity. Um, and 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 that is and that is a real concern. There are also political concerns. So the United States government is on track uh, under current trends to spend more money on interest payments servicing the debt than on national defense. That doesn't strike me as a politically sustainable uh, situation. Um, The United States government has also put itself in a position of being uh, very uh, vulnerable to relatively modest interest rate increases because the size of the debt is so large. If uh, if if Treasury bond interest rates were to go up by you know half a percentage point or a percentage point, that significantly increases the amount of money the government has to spend just servicing the debt. Um, and so, uh, it, isn't that the very scenario you've been suggesting? Isn't that the very the scenario you've been suggesting? Since you're worried about higher inflation, um, well, it, it's related. I'm also worried. I, I'm also worried about increasing the the rates that 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 private actors have to face. So, if you want to take out a commercial and industrial loan to to uh, you know, expand your business or to start a business or something like that, you're going to face higher interest rates there as well. 
Um, uh, right now, I'm talking about the direct exposure the government has to higher interest rates um, uh, because they have so much debt outstanding. Um, and, and that and that, uh, you know, that that not only could create political problems and, and political turmoil, but I think it also crowds out uh, other government priorities. There are a lot of things the government should be spending money on, a lot of things the government should be investing in other than paying our bondholders. Um, and uh, the amount of money we have to spend every every year servicing the debt. I think crowds out some of those other priorities. So there are, there are lots of reasons, um, economic reasons. Uh, uh, there, 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 there are reasons related to how private uh, sector actors, businesses and households, uh, 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 the borrowing costs they face. There are arguments about uh, macroeconomic issues like inflation. There are arguments about uh, public finances like debt service. Um, uh, and there are political uh, uh, ramifications to this as well. Lots of reasons why we should be prudent uh, in borrowing. It was prudent to borrow $2 trillion in March. It was prudent to borrow $900 billion last month. It would be prudent to borrow $400 billion uh, 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 in, in, in the first quarter of 2021. Uh, depending on what you spent it on, uh, if you spent it on on on, on the right things, um, but uh, another two trillion dollars is just way way more than the than, than the economy needs, and 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 there are real consequences for for borrowing. You know, we're talking about trade offs to debt. Uh, you mentioned a minimum wage earlier. Um, is it President? Like Biden, uh, be president by the time people listen to this, uh, wants to raise the national minimum wage to $15. And again, during Janet Yellen's testimony, she said she did not, she thought the any 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 negative impact would be minimal. She did not expect to see any job loss. Uh, what are the trade-offs to raising the minimum wage that high, with basically doubling the minimum wage? Well, I think I think a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage uh, that, that 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 was national that that was that was in effect in all fifty states would be would be just devastating to the low wage labor market. Um, there are the last time I looked, there are three states where the median wage is below sixteen dollars and fifty cents per hour. Half of all workers earn less than sixteen fifty in those states. In 47 states, over 25% of the workforce earns less than $15 an hour. So even in high-wage states, you still have a quarter of the workforce that earns less than $15 an hour. What those statistics tell us is that $15 is a really high minimum wage. And uh, the idea that you could uh, increase labor costs that dramatically um, and uh, you know, require employers uh, uh, in most states to raise the wages of a huge share of their workforces in order to be compliance with federal minimum wage regulation without seeing significant employment reductions just strikes me as, as uh, uh, completely implausible. The congressional so you expect people to, you would study. expect people to lose their jobs. I would expect people to lose their jobs. Yeah, I would. 
I would expect the um, I would expect the you know, so normally I think when you raise the minimum wage, uh, what happens is less than that people lose their jobs and more that fewer people just get hired. Um, I would expect uh, many fewer people to get hired going on a, on, a, on a going forward basis. But I would also expect uh, people to lose their jobs given given that you're talking about doubling the uh, the federal the federal minimum. Um, the Congressional Budget Office looked at what would happen if we were to raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. And they found, that it would it would reduce the number of jobs in in uh, in, in the kind of low wage labor market by 1.3 million. Um, I think that that is a reasonable estimate, but I think that they are lowballing it. I think you would see uh, significantly more than than the 1.3 million fewer jobs that they estimated. We don't have a lot of uh, great evidence on what happens when you take a minimum wage to $15 an hour, uh, mostly because uh, minimum wages at that level were basically unheard of until very recently. But if you look at Seattle, which is on its way to 15, uh, what you see is uh, uh, that when they when they hit $13 an hour, they had they had pretty severe uh, employment reductions. Um so uh, I think I think this would be I think this would be really uh, devastating. Um, you know, Biden Biden was supposed to be uh, a, a you know Biden Biden kind of ran in opposition to the far left. Um, he was going to be more mainstream, centrist, a deal maker, bipartisan. Uh, so it's it's discouraging to see uh, to see him take. Uh, this policy, which which really was championed by the far left, uh, you know, you associate this more with a Bernie Sanders than, than with a Joe Biden. So from what you've heard from the Biden agenda, both this COVID relief bill and maybe some what uh, things he's planning for later of the year, we've talked a lot about sort of what you don't like, the trade-offs, things you're worried about. Are there proposals that you find interesting or that you think you know would be helpful to the economy in some way. So, so uh, you know, the I think I think the best thing that Biden is proposing from an economic perspective is the uh, federal government grants to state and local governments. Um, that has been the most uh, glaring and uh, economically damaging omission from what Congress has done so far to support the economy in the wake of the virus. Uh, you know, state and local governments are providers of essential services, uh, but they are also major employers, and they're generally prohibited from running budget deficits. And so when they saw their tax revenue plunge uh, as a consequence of the lockdowns and the pandemic, they had little choice but to lay off lots of workers. And in fact, uh, employment uh, by state and local governments is down about 1.4 million workers relative to where it was in February and that includes 600,000 uh, education sector workers employed by local governments. And so if, if the federal government can't uh, help state and local governments by replacing some of the tax revenue they're losing, then state and local government employment is going to act as a drag on the recovery. Uh, and it's going to keep the unemployment rate up. It's going to prolong the period of economic weakness. Congress has done a remarkable job replacing 
the income that households have lost. They've done a terrific job replacing the revenue that small businesses have lost. Uh, they need to they need to replace the tax revenue that state and local governments have lost in order to help those help those governments keep workers on their payroll, which will of course help help the, the economy overall. And I think that's that's the thing that that uh, President-elect Biden is proposing that I um, that I that I think is, is is the best part of this package. You know, and, and you're not you're not concerned stuff. you're not concerned that they're reward that then you're just rewarding a lot of bad governance in a lot of cities and states. Well, you that, that's always a concern. Um, uh, but you can you what Congress can can create a formula to make sure that the uh, the amount of money that goes to each state is determined by the tax revenue losses that are pandemic related in each state, uh, not determined by the kind of overall general finances that state and, state and local governments found themselves in uh, prior to the pandemic. So you do want to make sure that you're not, you're not uh, uh, using federal money to bail out bad behavior by states. Uh, but I think Congress can, can figure out how to make that make that distinction. I mean, the politics of this have, have, have been crazy. You know, the, the state of Illinois has a has a dangerously mismanaged pension fund. And earlier on in the pandemic, an official uh, uh, with um, with that with that pension fund wrote a letter to Congress requesting uh, that Congress bail out the pension fund. Uh, uh, this spooked a lot of Republicans and rightly so it would be it would be an outrageous abuse of, uh, of uh, uh, taxpayer dollars for Congress to be bailing out anybody's pension fund, uh, any state's pension fund as a, as a consequence of this. Uh, so of course you want to, you want to set up safeguards and you want to make sure that, that you're not, uh, that you're not um, uh, uh, you know, correcting for bad management on the parts of states and localities. But Congress can do that. Congress can, Congress can, can, can make sure that, that, that the grants that the size of the grants are determined by uh, revenue lost because of the pandemic, not because of, of uh, decades of, 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 of previous mismanagement. The other, you know, the other big thing that, uh, that I think is, is most admirable about what Biden has proposed is uh, his push to get schools reopened. Um, and that's gonna take money. He's right to be focusing on it. Um, uh, he's right to make it a major goal. Um, you know, keeping kids out of classrooms like the United States has done is going to uh, cause damage to those kids uh, in terms of their in terms of their future economic uh, uh, prospects. Um, that that for some kids. Uh, you know, they, they may never recover from other kids. It'll take years and years and years. Um, and, uh, you know, we, it's really closed schools are a national emergency. Um, and so I was, I was really pleased to see, uh, uh, Mr. Biden focused uh, so much on, uh, on that. So, you know, there, there are, there are good things, uh, that, that he's proposing to be sure. Um, I just think I just think he he pushes he pushes the the, the package further than, than it should go. My guest today has been Michael Strain. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me.